Good morning. Hey, it is first Sundays at First Cove. It's always I always love having every generation in worship. We loved seeing the kids sing this morning. That was awesome. Hey, and I I just want to make sure you guys know, like when we have students that read scripture, who they are. So that was Zachary Carlin. Do you guys know Zachary Carlin? He's a middle school student at Southeast of Saline and uh, did a great job reading scripture this morning. So just to help you kind of make a connection with some of our younger faces and appreciate any time they can be involved in the service. So before I get started with my message this morning, since we have every generation in the room, uh, I'm going to give you four words at the beginning right now just to see if you happen to catch them throughout the message. Okay, you ready? So I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes. How am I going to work that one into the message? Who, like, who likes Patrick Mahomes? Raise your hand. Well, I thought there'd be more here that would like Patrick Mahomes. Sorry. Okay. Judas. We're not going to ask who likes Judas here this morning. Okay. Perfume and baseball. Now, I'm, how am I going to work all that into the message? Okay. Okay. What's the biggest celebration event you've ever been to in your life? You know, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl this year, right? You remember that? Does it seem like a long time ago? Do we have any Chiefs fans here today? Oh, I got a better response there. Okay, so they had this huge celebration. You can see this picture up here, right? A parade and a celebration in Kansas City. It was amazing. And guess what? My wife and I and our family and our kids, adult kids, we all went to that event. We were there. Do you see us? We're right there. We're the ones wearing red right there in that picture, okay? So I'll show you later where we're at in that whole big mess of people right there. But it was amazing, and it was an awesome celebration. You can scroll through the other ones if you want to. They estimate there were over a million people that went to the parade and to that event. I believe it. There were people everywhere. Like it took us an hour and a half just to walk like three-quarters of a mile from where we got dropped off to get to the place we wanted to watch everything happen. It was crazy, but it was fun. And, uh, you know, as amazing as the crowd was, the enthusiasm for the Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs was even, uh, you know, way bigger than the crowd. It was just off the charts, you know. And uh, we have the best team in the NFL, right? We can celebrate, right? We've, got, we've won two Super Bowls in the last four years. We've hosted five straight AFC championship games. Like, no team in the history of the NFL has ever done that before. Amazing stuff happening. They have the best player. Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They have the best coach, Andy Reid. They have a couple of all pros that doesn't hurt either, right? Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, just an amazing, amazing team. So if you've been to a parade and a celebration like that, then you have a bit of the feel of what it was like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Thousands and thousands of people going crazy, thinking and hoping that Jesus was the Messiah, the King that had been promised to them for so long. In fact, the city of Jerusalem was just swelled. It was huge. It was probably two to three times more than they were usually in Jerusalem because it was a time of a festival. So many, many people had come to celebrate. And so this amazing crowd was there. That's what it's like. Just to set a little bit more of the stage for you, Jesus uh, had just left the village of Bethany, which is not very far away, He was at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, It was not unusual for him to be at this home. It was kind of a a refuge for him and for the disciples. He visited them often. And what brought him to their home before he had gone into Jerusalem was a little bit unusual. He really had come a couple of weeks ahead of time for a funeral. His good friend Lazarus had died, right? And they called for Jesus to come, only he 
he didn't come in time because Lazarus died before he got there. And he got there four days later, and so what did they do? They went to the cemetery. And Jesus stands outside the cave, and a stone is across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. And they all looked at him like he was crazy. Take away the stone, Jesus. Don't you know what it's going to smell like when we take the stone away? And then a loud voice, he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And everyone's astonished. Because this dead man came out, and his hands and feet are still wrapped in linen and graveside clothes. And this man who was dead for four days was now alive. And many of the Jews were told in, in the passage who had come to visit Mary and Martha in their grief, saw what Jesus had done, and they put their faith in him. But when the Pharisees, after they heard what had happened, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the leadership of the Jewish people, and they said, what are we accomplishing? They were worried. If we let this Jesus go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And so he claims to be God, and well, his miracles had proved it. And they just chose to deny what their eyes had seen and what their ears had heard about what had happened. So in response to this incredible miracle that Jesus performs, we see in this first part of the chapter that Zachary read that his own followers had different reactions and expectations of Jesus. Right? We have this story. Mary, she takes out this super expensive jar of perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet. She anoints him. And, and we're told this jar of perfume is so expensive, it's worth like a year's worth of wages. Think about that. Like I think uh, an expensive jar of perfume is $100, but think about taking a jar of perfume that would be, say, today worth $50,000. And in one moment you pour it out on Jesus' feet and you anoint him and the perfume is out and it's used. And so this is the devotion that she has for Jesus. This is the, the heart of her gratitude that she has for what Jesus has done and recognizing and hoping that he was this Messiah that God had promised and yet Judas has a very different response, doesn't he? What, how does he respond to what Mary does? He says, Mary, why did you waste these resources like this on, on, on Jesus? We could have used those resources to feed and take care of so many poor. And so here you have it. You've got two different responses, two different expectations from his own followers right after the miracle. And this is how they're responding to Jesus. And so hundreds of people had witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And by now, before he enters Jerusalem, thousands had heard about it because that news had traveled quickly. And so it seemed so impossible, but Jesus had done it. And on the heels of this unbelievable event where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus enters this ancient holy city called Jerusalem, and the crowds go wild. Just go crazy, right? With their cheering, we see from Scripture, they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. And people are grabbing anything they can. They're grabbing branches off the palm trees and they're laying them down on the road. They're taking their own coats off and they're laying them down on the road. It's a sign of honor and respect and an expectation that the king is coming in to Jerusalem. It's like a red carpet Fourth of July parade. It's like as big as the chief's parade. It's a huge deal all wrapped up into one for the Messiah, the King of the universe. And so the question is, what kind of deliverer did the people of Jerusalem want? On Palm Sunday, the crowds were ecstatic with joy, right, at the coming. But they, uh, why did they so soon afterwards call for his execution? Their dramatic, fickle shift of 
uh, seems so strange in just a few days. And the reason is simple. Jesus wasn't the Savior they were expecting. Palm Sunday was our Lord's most misunderstood event. The crowd wanted somebody who was going to lead a revolt against the tyranny of the Roman occupation army uh, to establish Jewish uh, nation and kingdom and rule. And in short, they wanted a political revolutionary, not a spiritual leader, and especially not someone who was going to die for their sins. Like, a leader doesn't die. A leader leads, right? They would have welcomed Jesus if he was somebody like Gandhi, who back in the last century was a religious leader that helped kick the British out of India. That's the kind of thing they were hoping for. Instead of conducting a war room strategy session with his followers, Jesus, we told later on this week, leads his followers to a garden for a prayer meeting. That's the kind of leader Jesus is. And so like Judas, the people eventually became disenchanted. They realized he didn't really have any plans to call the zealots to rise up in a revolt, and even Rome saw that eventually Jesus posed very little threat to their empire. And although they would have probably thought differently if they could have looked into the future three or four centuries to see the impact of the Christian faith in the Roman Empire, but in that moment they had no concern, no worry over Jesus. And seeing that Jesus was not going to follow up on, on his entry into Jerusalem with an attempted overthrow of Rome, the Jews gave up on him and they turned against him. And if you read through the events of Holy Week this week in Scripture in the Gospels, you're going to notice that the events of the week take a really drastic Strange, unexpected turn. And who in that crowd on the first Palm Sunday would imagine just five days later, the crowds that were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, because he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, those crowds who welcomed Jesus into their city with palm branches and and laying their coats down on the road, that that crowd would by Friday turn in and start shouting things like, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You see the stark contrast between what they were yelling on Palm Sunday and what they were yelling on Good Friday. And as far as claims of him being a king, they claim on Good Friday, we have no king but Caesar. Indeed, a huge change from the beginning of the week, wouldn't you say? So, what kind of leader did they expect? What kind of deliverer did the people want? Leads me to a question today. What kind of Jesus do we want? What kind of Jesus do we want? Today, many people prefer a God who's distant, far enough away to leave us alone, one who lets us live as we please, free to do our own thing, and yet it's hardly the kind of God we need, especially when life gets tough, right? And we can't have it both ways. We can't have God near, even though we may think he's in the way. We want him close by when we're in distress, but not when we're engaging in sin. And today, just as in Jesus' day, many of us want a God who meets our conditions. We think we have some kind of bargain with God. We'll follow and we'll honor Him and maybe even go to church. And if we live, if we live our lives in there, that are comfortable and free of tragedy, that's the kind of bargain we want to strike with God. And yet often life hurts and God's not obligated to give us a trouble-free life. He does promise to strengthen us during those times, but not to remove them. He promises us He's going to comfort us, guide us, empower us during the storms of life. He promises us He will transform us. He'll even use those storms in life 
to bring about transformation into a more and more like Jesus. And he also promises us that he will take us with him at the end of life into heaven. And yet that sounds all too spiritual, too religious for many. And today, too often, you know, we want a Jesus who, who gives us what we want, when we want, how we want it. And leaves us to our own devices. A Jesus who makes few demands on our lives. Who won't interfere with our plans or get in our way. And so Jesus oftentimes gets a low priority. He's thought of so little and prayer becomes an afterthought as we're making plans. Today, some people prefer to see Jesus simply as a man. Maybe, maybe even a prophet. It's okay to, it's safe to reject him if he's a man. If he's God, as he claimed to be, then it's not so safe to uh, disregard him. Today, even some theologians see Jesus as a martyr for his beliefs, but not uh, as the subsidiary sacrifice for sins. That's all too unpleasant, kind of dwelling on the blood and the mess and the payment of sin. Unpleasant, but necessary. What kind of king entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday? Not the king that was expected by the crowd. The people were unable to see what Jesus was really offering them. He came to conquer hearts, not to topple governments. The same is true today. Jesus came to conquer hearts, not with a political agenda. The city wanted Jesus to call for revolution. Instead, he called for repentance. He called for a change of hearts. You know, when we accept Jesus as Lord, we turn from ourselves to him and we come under his lordship. That means we go uh, undergo a radical change of thinking, a change in priorities, a change even in direction, resulting in a change even that leads to repentance, coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's required, even necessary, for receiving eternal life. Repentance is faith's companion. Repentance is not working for salvation. However, it is the result of genuine, authentic faith in Christ. So as you go through Holy Week this week, Hopefully, as you read through that, through scriptures this week, even if, I would encourage you to go through the, the Eastern experience that we have this morning. If you haven't done it already, I encourage you to go there after the service. Doug's going to share a little bit more about that at the end of the service. But as you experience these things, as you go through this week of Holy Week, I want to encourage you to see you yourself in each of the places that you encounter with Jesus. And as you do, I think you're going to realize that at times... We're all a part of that fickle crowd on, Sunday, on Palm Sunday. We're going to find at times, you know, we're ready to praise Jesus so loud that there's not going to be anybody who can keep us quiet. But we're also going to find that because of our sin, that we abandon Jesus. We don't always speak up for our faith when we should. We don't always acknowledge that we're children of God by the things we do or the things we say or the things that we think. So we can even probably find a bit of Judas in ourselves, willing to betray Jesus for whatever type of silver that sin puts in front of us in the moment. And we'll find that it's literally our sin that condemns him to be nailed to the cross. We're going to find that while it's easy for us to be disappointed as we read about this group that turned from him, turned away from cheering for him to yelling for him to be crucified, that, you know, if we were there, we'd likely be with them. In both situations, we wouldn't be any better. And this week I I read an interesting observation from a pastor online. His kind of thought process was that the liberals and the legalists of the Christian faith 
are both trying to get to heaven the same way. The liberals reject the death of Christ as payment for our sins, and they regard Jesus as a moral teacher, and they're left with salvation by doing good deeds and and not realizing that there's no one who's going to be able to follow everything that Jesus has asked us to do perfectly and good enough. And so the legalists, their own set of issues, have their list of bad things that Christians shouldn't do, and their pathway to heaven is seen by abstinence from those things. But both systems are completely broken. Jesus saves us unconditionally, right? Just as we are, and gives us the motivation, the desire to live for Him, and faith and repentance are gifts from the Holy Spirit. A God-produced response is the key. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old way of life is being transformed. A new Christian is beginning a process of growth. If someone claims to be a believer and yet lives a thoroughly ungodly life, then that person may be self-deceived. In a newborn baby, what do we expect? We expect that baby to grow, don't we? We don't expect that baby to stay the same. And that's true of Christians as well. If we've been transformed, our worldview and our lifestyle have changed, right? And we have new life in Christ that changes everything about us. We have new priorities. We've got a new definition of success. We have a new desire to read God's Word, to understand His will, to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We become convinced of the importance of things like prayer and fellowship and worship and sharing our faith with others and serving others and serving God. And we become saints. Did you know that you're a saint if you're a follower of Jesus? If you've you've trusted in Christ, you are a saint. That sounds too lofty for some of us, right? I'm not a saint. I'm not that good. But that's, that's what God's Word tells us, that literally we're called saints. Because the word basically means to describe ordinary believers, those who have been made holy. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And God has declared us forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice for sin. And He's making us a unique people. And we're set apart from the world. We're not perfect. By any means. But we're growing. We're not sinless, but we sin less. And many people still live for themselves and making their own rules. And how would that work even in a sport like baseball, right? If, imagine if all the players in the major leagues just simply said, we're not going to have umpires anymore. We're just going to play ourselves and we're going to rule ourselves. How do you think that would turn out? I think eventually baseball would turn into WWF wrestling when things when the players didn't agree from each of the teams, right? We need an umpire in the game of life. We need accountability. That's why so many people reject God. They don't want rules. They don't want to answer to God for their actions. Jesus came as a king, but his kingdom rule was rejected. And when we come under the rule of Christ... We reject the ideas of others, and we accept Jesus' teaching for us as our guiding principles now for life, right? The call to conversion means a call to discipleship. We become followers of Christ, not merely a group of people who are hoping to escape hell. We turn to our King for a gift that transforms our lives completely. We become committed to Christ. The true test of saving faith is a desire to make Jesus Lord. Lord of my life, Lord of my decisions, Lord of my actions, Lord of everything. And the true test 
is to make Jesus Lord. And when we say yes to Christ, we're saying no to the world's way of life. And so Jesus entered Jerusalem on a spiritual mission, not with a political agenda. He also entered knowing how he would be received. Or maybe I should say he knew how he would be rejected, ultimately. And so the cries of Hosanna were demands to save, but not in the spiritual sense. They wanted political deliverance, right? Not salvation. And so before entering the city, Jesus looked at it and, he, and from afar, and he cries out. He's, he's weeping, literally, because they don't understand who he truly is and what he will truly do. And he realizes their vision for what they want in a Messiah and for what they expect from this kingdom is so limited. All they can think about is reestablishing uh, Israel as a, as a nation. And Jesus is saying, your need is so much greater than to have an earthly king that's going to create this little earthly kingdom. Your need is to be reconciled to a holy and a just God. And he's looking at the world and he's seeing the mess that the world is in, the brokenness, the desperation, the chaos. People killing each other, people looking out only for themselves, people rejecting God and rejecting uh, holy living in ways that we can live together in peace and in harmony. And he sees the mess, he sees the need, and he's realizing they don't have a clue who he is and what he's come to do. And I think he still weeps today because so many people today miss it. They don't understand who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he has done for all of us. So he cries out, Luke actually records this in his version of of Palm Sunday in chapter 13 of Luke. He says, oh, Jesus is crying out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Next slide, please. There you go. Thank you. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus enters the city with tears in his eyes while the people are cheering for him. Just think of that, the juxtaposition of that scene. The people cheering, Jesus weeping. Not because he doesn't want them to cheer. It's just simply that they're cheering for the wrong reasons. They don't understand. They don't see it. They won't get it. And as we seek Jesus this week, let's invite Jesus to reveal himself to us. Let's ask him to take away our selfish expectations that don't match his intended lordship. You see, Jesus is our hero. Not the hero we deserved or expected, but the hero we needed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we often come to you with our demands. We expect you at times to act in certain ways. Lord, help us in prayer to simply report for duty rather than to rush into your presence with our demands. Lord, instead of insisting, give me, help us to ask, make me. Make us the kind of followers that you desire. Conform to your image, following in your steps. Lord, should anyone here need to surrender to your Lordship, draw them to yourself so that they may turn from their sin and from their self 
to salvation. This we ask in the name of Christ our King. Amen.